0: Hey there, it's Mara schiavo and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key and that's why we're here to help. Every week we're bringing you the top health, wellness and fitness experts along with a lot of really amazing everyday people and it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. Don't want to wait until Monday for the next episode of Motivated? You can hear it three days early on the TuneIn app. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. So today we're going to talk about two really important things. Um, Emotional eating, which I think we can't talk about enough because um, few people I think have Issues with food that are tied to hunger. We can get into that. But I think most of our issues with food are tied to our mental state. Um, And then also our peer group, which I find to be phenomenally important. Um, And it's something that I think a lot of us underestimate or aren't necessarily aware of is how important our peer group is. To influencing us, so we have two really great guests here, um, amazing credentials, who, who speak to this issue very directly. Both of these issues, Nancy, I want to start with you. Introduce yourself because you're both so accomplished and you have this like <laughs> list of credentials It's a
1: mile long, and I don't want to screw anything up. Nancy, tell me about your practice. Um, so, my practice is based in Long Island and Manhattan. I work with um, mostly women from the age of 16 up until 65, 70. Um, really for people who are struggling in one or more areas of their life, in this case, food um, and their body image. You're a, you're a psychotherapist. Psychotherapist, social worker by training. And I really focus on helping someone where they're stuck and really helping them sort of overcome and embrace a much larger, um, happier life. Okay.
0: Um, Nancy Chandler-Karen. Yes. And Mindy gorman Plutzer. Tell yes. me about your
2: practice. Well, I'm a board-certified health coach, certified eating psychology coach, and my practice is based on the functional nutrition and functional medicine model. So we are looking at the whole person. Uh, I work with women and and men. Um, my practice, honestly, is primarily women who have a burning desire to transform their relationship with food from... One that has been mired in fear and confusion, to one that is joyous, loving, and free. Mm-hmm. So I have a really basic question, but
0: I don't know that I know the answer to the question. Even given my journey, you know, mm-hmm. of, of going from disordered eating to a reasonably sane place, um, what does a healthy relationship
2: with food look like? It's
1: a great question. Should
2: I take you that can one? start?
1: <laughs> I'll finish.
2: A healthy relationship with food is one where we are inviting in the wisdom of our bodies. So many of us struggling with disordered eating, before it even becomes an eating disorder, are all in our heads. We're totally disconnected from the beautiful wisdom of our bodies. What goes first out of that equation is hunger. We deny it. We fear it. We don't trust it. And once we start denying hunger, metaphorically, we're denying life. Hunger is appetite. So it starts playing into our existence, the experience of, of our daily living. And we're just caught up in our heads. And food becomes uh, attached to morality, good, bad, should, shouldn't. There's a lot of self-judgment there. Right.
1: A lot of guilt, a what? lot of shame.
0: So what do you, what, how would you define a healthy relationship with food?
1: I think for sure, as Mindy said, getting out of one's head and looking at food as something that's nourishing and, and good for you and enjoyable um, and doesn't have to be feared.
0: But what does that look like on a practical level? Because I log all my food so it's really... and I weigh and I measure everything. But okay. mm. that keeps
1: me sane. Mm.
0: But I, would, I can't even imagine a world where I could eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full not weigh anything, not measure anything, not log any food, and maintain my weight and my sanity. I cannot mm. imagine
1: that world, and that's the and that's what we have set out to do. Yes, that's we that. run it. We we run groups now for women.
2: Yes. Is that free? Is that freedom? That's the structure. Yes. That's the structure of the Freedom Promise. Yes. you know the Freedom Promise really happened organically for me as I was embracing my own journey from disordered eating to eating disorders to recovery. And you know, recover- what does recovery mean? Embracing what was lost or stolen. Well, what was lost was myself, my connection to myself. So as I was looking back and setting out to write this book, this blueprint evolved, the seven steps to stop fearing what food could do to you. And step three is eat when you're hungry, stop when you've had enough. But that can only happen when you are living a life of gratitude, when you've found you're enough, when you're facing your feelings, when you're responding to stress rather than reacting to it, when you're bringing mindfulness to the table so that you can appreciate satiety, appreciate fullness, eat without distraction, when you can move in an effort to honor your body rather than moving to punish it over something you ate. When you can respect what food can do for you, look at it as fuel. And when you surround yourself with what truly nourishes, the but people, places and things, the, the, what nourishes us most importantly is not in the kitchen. Mm.
0: Now, I have found, though, that there are some foods that for me, I feel like they're not designed to be satiating they make me feel like a shark that just had a taste of blood. I just can't stop eating it. And so, those foods I can only have a good relationship with if I don't have a relationship with them. So, is, it, but I know that gets into restrictive eating, but I can't yeah, no. eat one of a certain kind of cookie. I'm not going to say the brand
2: name, I got to eat the whole sleeve. Okay. But I, I want you to reframe that, okay? Okay. Because what you're doing is you are having a better relationship with your body. Okay, You're listening to your body. Your body is telling you, this food is not good for me. Okay, so the healthy part of you is saying, well, why would I choose to eat something that's not going to make me feel good? That's empowered choice. Mm. It's not restricting. Mm-hmm. And that's where the reframe comes in. Mm. And that's
1: where the sustainable results occur. Mm. That's very powerful. And I, what we have seen, um, particularly in the group that we've run together, women who are afraid of food, um, feel guilty if they've eaten it. And my, one of my favorite exercises that we do is um, telling them they have to eat certain foods for breakfast. Oof. You have to have a muffin. You have to have eggs. You have to have cereal. Mm. And letting them really... You see f- my face, right? <laughs> if you told me I had to have a donut for breakfast, I would, I would not do it. So what we, what we found is the fear mm-hmm. about doing that and the resistance to doing it And then the aftermath of recognizing what it felt like in their body. How did it feel to eat that? Were you satiated? Were you hungry soon after? What did your brain feel like? And really connecting mind and body to food and how it functions in the body. Mm. And it was amazing. It was amazing to watch.
0: Now, one of the things um, that I've learned on my journey, I remember hearing once many years ago that if you're heavy, there's something that the weight is doing for you. Mm-hmm. It's protecting you from, you know, being objectified in a sexual manner. It's,
1: it's serving you. In it's some serving way.
0: you in some way. Mm-hmm. That did not resonate with me. It was 90 mm-hmm. pounds heavier. I did not feel like that weight was benefiting me in any way. And I realized that for me, it wasn't the weight that was serving me, it was the food that was serving me. If I could have had the food without the weight, I would have much rather have taken that and mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had an impetus to change. So in what ways are people attaching themselves to food? What are ways that you would deem unhealthy or un- unproductive attachments to food? How how should it not
2: be used? Well, what you're describing is what food was doing for you, not what the weight was doing exactly. for you. And without knowing the exact details of your story, I would ask you, were you checked out? Were you numb when you were eating? Mm. That very often is the purpose that food serves. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's self-soothing.
0: Well, it, right. felt like, it always felt like a vacation. Yeah,
2: well, it's self-soothing. Like I could be at
0: my desk, but if I had a bag of candy, it was like a 10-minute vacation. Yeah, so, right.
2: it, so that's
1: when the self-soothing behavior becomes self-destructive. And it really is getting in touch with your body. You know, there's a phrase: um, "Halt before you eat something." Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because if you're not hungry, physically hungry, then you're feeding something else.
0: So then, here's the question: You get to that place, and I and I have gone through this this that exercise many times. I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And you say, "Okay, I am. I'm not hungry. I'm actually really depressed because my my parents are sick." Mm-hmm. Um, so. What should I do about it now? Because this food is going to give me instant relief. And then what happens after?
2: Right. Then what? Right. It's, it's initiating the pause. It's initiating the pause. Who do I want to be? How do I want to feel? What can I do in this moment to make me feel better that is not going to be self-destructive? So what are some coping strategies? What can you replace?
0: Because if you take something so, away,
1: you have to put something in its place. So Connection. Connection with yourself, connection with another person. So take a few minutes and write in a journal. Meditate. Get back in touch with your own self. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a therapist. Reach out to a support, you know, a recovery partner. Um, We always recommend that people go through a transformation with other people alongside of them.
0: Is there value to um, foods that won't throw you off, won't throw you off your, what your goals are? Let's say like a bag of carrot sticks or some popcorn. If in that moment you need to eat something, is there value in a healthier substitute?
2: Or are you still feeding the same neuroses? Yeah. Uh, I very often recommend replacing the ritual with a healthier ritual. Okay. If you absolutely positively need to eat that cookie, Okay. Ritualize the binge. In other mm-hmm. words, honor it. Honor the fact that you need it. Honor the fact that we're at this moment, in this moment, this is the best I can do. Take the shame away from it. I'm, I'm getting and, so
0: emotional when you're saying mm-hmm. that because that is such a loving approach.
1: And uh, we, we both tell people, sit down. Get a plate. Yeah, beautiful Enjoy plate. <laughs> that cookie, every bite of it. Just right. enjoy it.
2: And put it on the most beautiful piece of china you can find in your home. And instead of eating out of the bag, put the cookies on the plate. Right. And and besides honoring yourself and what your needs are, you see that you're
1: not gonna eat as many cookies as, mm-hmm. as you would have if it was a shame based right. behavior. We always want to take the shame away and, and, and uh, deprivation should never be a part. No.
0: But what that says to me is that afterwards
1: you can move forward yes. in a positive yes. space. Yes. yes. Because you're saying I did the best I could. Yes.
2: It did, in the moment I did the best I could. And, and if you are approaching it lovingly, you're going back to step one, the gratitude, the facing your feelings and finding you're enough. In this moment, I am
1: enough. Mm-hmm. I think that inadequacy is a big part of someone's struggle with food and their body. And the goal is to replace food with self love and self care.
0: Because is that what it's feeding? Is that yes. what the, the binges yeah. are yes. often feeding? Yes. Now let's talk about peer groups. Um, Something that I learned when I started is when I began exercising, all of a sudden I'm surrounded with people who are doing the same activities, Mm -hmm. people who don't think it's crazy to come to a boot camp class on Christmas morning, people who when you want to get together, it's for an activity Mm -hmm. and then a tea or a a breakfast. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden I'm seeing the world through a different lens. Because I'm surrounded by all these people who are living a different lifestyle, and for great reasons, they're not pinching their way saying, "Ugh, look at." They're like there because they want to feel strong and they want to fuel their body in the right ways. That was so powerful for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and it encourages you because you you know if you're at breakfast with a group of people who are ordering you know great options, you don't want to be the one ordering the sweet potato fries and the chicken fingers, right? <laughs> it's a lifestyle. How, right, it's, a trying, lifestyle. it's a lifestyle. Lifestyle. Why is the peer group so
2: important? I'll let you speak. Okay.
1: So. Um, you always want to surround yourself with people that are like-minded, right? And if you're like-minded is healthier lifestyle, healthier choices, self-care, self-love, then that's what you want to attract and you want to spend time with. It also allows you to connect with people in a different way. They become your friends. They become people you think about when you're feeling kind of low, feeling kind of down. You can meet that person at six in the morning if you need someone to be there with you and I think that peer groups start when we're you know, eight, nine, 10. And who you are is reflected in your friends, in your peer group. Mm-hmm.
0: Show me your friends and I'll show you who you are.
1: I was once, you know, a, an old supervisor of mine said you always wanna choose up. You always wanna choose friends who are smarter, more ambitious, um, successful, because they're gonna, they're gonna pull you on days when you don't wanna be pulled. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it, you look in the mirror, and that's who your friends are.
0: What do you see in the groups that you run? How, how do they
2: benefit one another? How do people benefit one another? It's, it becomes so dynamic. Back when Nancy and I started the group. Well, t- tell me about the group. Okay, well, the group was, was structured <coughs> after the steps laid out in the book. And it was going to be an eight-week group. It morphed into a 10-week group. Because the dynamic was so tremendous, the transformation was so great that the women just wanted more. How many women? We limited to six.
0: Do they know each other prior to starting?
2: Sometimes.
0: And what are, what are the what's the demographics in terms of age and kind of lifestyle? What, do you see any commonalities?
2: Well, we like there to be commonalities. Um, my first experience doing a group on my own, um, before I started collaborating with Nancy, was I kind of just pulled a group together because I was so desperate to get this work out there. Mm-hmm. It really didn't work. Right. The women were coming from all different... Mm-hmm. Not, it wasn't even about lifestyle. It was just mindsets, and their goals were very different. So we try very hard to make it a cohesive group. The very first rule of the group, though, is confidentiality and no judgment. So how do you decide how to pair
0: people? You know, if you, before you were getting this disparate group, yes. how now are you uniting them? Well, I think the
1: first criteria is they're group ready. They're really prepared for a group to open up in front of other people, to not be concerned about someone judging them or talking about them when they leave the room. Um, so they have to be group ready. Oftentimes they really need some experience in therapy because it really is um, a pretty profound journey for them. And then really commonality, you know, whether it be age or background or whether they work or they don't work, they have children, don't have children. So little pieces that kind of would bring them together to, to relate to one another.
2: Yeah, I think life experience is very important. And there are, there are definite different schools of thought in this area. My experience personally and professionally is that lifestyle commonality, it matters. It's important to the cohesiveness of the group.
0: And what are the goals after those six weeks, eight weeks? What is it that you want them leaving with?
2: A transformative relationship with themselves. It starts with their relationship with food, but it ends with their relationship to themselves and, and their life and, and their how they experience everything. I'm a big believer in how we do one thing is how we do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, our bodies, our lives are like an orchestra. You know, it, each system is uh, metaphoric to the sections of the orchestra. When one part is off, mm-hmm. the whole orchestra is off. Mm. And so what, what do they, how,
0: how does the group <coughs> setting help people get to that
2: place? It gives them confidence. They know that their voices are heard. We... Coach them to use their voices because so many women who are struggling with a relationship with food are also struggling with their needs not being met, not knowing how to ask for what they need. It's, that's a, a pretty big common denominator. So we coach them to use their voices.
1: I think it also helps tremendously when they see someone or hear someone going through something similar. Um, throughout the sessions, you know, some will be sharing and you see one or two or three other people nodding and saying, I get it. I've been there. Oh my goodness. That just reminded me of something else. And their own past experiences kind of come together where they're desensitized to guilt, to shame. They really recognize they're not alone. Other people right next to them have been there or going through it. They also share victories together which is really, really important. It's not just sharing the shame and the trauma, but also sharing, I did this. You know, I went home and I was really tired and I didn't reach for that bag of cookies. And instead I journaled or I took a bath or I made a cup of tea. And they really rejoiced in each other's victories. And it was amazing to watch.
0: Now, this may seem like a shallow consideration given everything we've been discussing, but this is very real that a, a lot of people listening want to lose weight. You know, they mm-hmm. want a better relationship with food. They want to be free from all of those demons, but they also want to lose weight. So, how do these steps yeah.
1: help people in that regard? So, before we go there, I will. You had asked, you know, what can you expect to get out of it? Concretely, the people that went through the group, they don't have a scale. They don't weigh a scale for weighing themselves. They don't weigh their food. They don't portion out food. Um, they eat when they're hungry they enjoy what they're eating, and they feel better.
2: And their clothes are falling off of them. Because when the focus is on weight loss, when that's the goal, it can be counterproductive. The stress involved with trying to get a different body is sometimes more stressful and more counterproductive than the diet that created the yeah, and it's a very problem. emotional journey because you know, not it lose very weight. Emotional. You get disappointed, exactly. discouraged. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the desire can be wanting to lose weight. But until you discover who you are as an eater, it's very difficult to find sustainable results.
1: I think that our, or at least, you know, going into it, the goal is not even weight loss. The primary goal is that you love yourself. Thin or heavy. That's a tough
0: pill for a lot of people to swallow. If they've been heavy all their life. Their weight, they've tied to so many things, from disappointments in
1: relationships to acceptance from groups. No because oftentimes that core ego has just not been developed, and so their um, self worth is reliant on how they look in the mirror.
0: And so how many of the people that come to you really want to lose weight? Or are they all coming to you from that very high-minded uh, kind
2: of all <laughs> Absolutely. No. All of them. Absolutely. Most of them. No, no, no. You know, the, the truth is that they come in wanting to lose weight, hating mm-hmm. their bodies, you know, knowing that they need the, ch- the change, the transformation. Mm-hmm. Ma- they think of it as change. I explain to them there's a difference between change and transformation. Change is something we do to attire. Mm. transformation is is something that comes from within transformation is about you being not you doing Mm -hmm. so i start there um you know also bring a lot of empathy i spent the greater part of my life on a diet you know i grew up in a home a loving home wonderful home but dieting was a pastime monday to friday we counted calories with your family yeah Yeah, it was a family activity. We were on every diet there was. Now, did did you have a weight problem? My weight, I say in the book, I spend the better part of my life either trying to put weight on or take weight off. Mm. You know, my disordered eating behaviors morphed into a clinical eating disorder.
0: Mm -hmm. Which disorder, can I
2: ask? uh, You name it. Mm. Okay, I either severely restricted to the point where I was two pounds away from being hospitalized. Wow. Or I was compulsively binge eating and I was consistently purging with laxatives mm. for, for my, most of my adult life until I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 years later, I can tell you that this was a journey that l- was not only transformative but life-changing. And I came to this work in an effort to embrace my recovery and to Mm -hmm. embrace my journey. And now, for me, it's about paying it forward. Mm -hmm. I have a story to tell. I'm very happy to share it. And um, I can only help you by letting you know that I get the fear. Mm -hmm. I understand the fear of who will I be when I let go of this behavior. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I have come to believe that I will never be cured, that my first Mm -hmm. instinct when when I'm facing a moment of stress will always be to eat. Do you still feel that way? Do you still have those moments where
2: you want to have a binge? No, I don't. I can honestly say I don't because I am tuned into the wisdom of my body. Mm -hmm. I listen now. I listen when it's whispering so that it need not ever start to scream again. And that you think the desire for a binge is a scream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The desire for a binge is the desire to check out. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: The desire is not to be present. For whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And and I'm gonna go back to the self soothing piece because we all need to self soothe. There's nothing wrong with needing to self soothe. But how can we self soothe in a way that is
1: not self destructive? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's even how to give permission to self soothe. Mm-hmm. Because when I hear you say that, I'm thinking you don't have to live like that.
0: does mm-hmm.
1: Doesn't have to be that your go to place will be a binge. Mhm. You can actually work through it. Well, it's that. always
0: the desire. And I've gotten to the place now where I am able to say, what is this going to feel like afterwards? Mm-hmm. And this feeling is temporary. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. an hour, I'm going to feel differently. So what can I do to the, for the, the next hour exactly. to distract right. myself? Right. So I have gotten to that place. And that's huge for me mm-hmm. well, because I was never love. able to even fight the urge. Right. And now I fight and I win most times. Right. But I've come to accept that that urge will
1: always be there. Is that is
0: that not the case? Is is there freedom on the the True freedom?
1: We don't (laughs) subscribe to that. We really don't. We really don't believe that that you have to struggle like that.
2: Uh, Mm. It's you know it's about metabolizing, reframing, and releasing. Metabolize. Be aware of the thought. Be aware of what's going on. The issue. How it's driving you. Reframe it. You know, I very often use the analogy of the, the story of the big bad wolf. You know, you tell the story of the big bad wolf to this beloved child, you tuck him in, you leave the room, and an hour later he comes out and he says, I'm so afraid of the big bad wolf. (laughs) And what do you say? It's only a story. Mm. You know, so we've told ourselves these stories for so long that we believe them. Mm. We need to have faith that we can remove ourselves from that story just enough to let a little bit of light in. Mm. And in that light is where all the growth is. Because we believe the story
0: is
1: true. Yeah. It's just a story.
2: It's just a story. So we reframe, and when we can reframe lovingly, as we talked about before, then we can release. And with that release comes forgiveness. And that's where the empowerment begins. And that's when we learn to trust ourselves. And when we trust ourselves, we can trust ourselves with food.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. You had said something um, about it serves you right your relationship with food serves you mm-hmm. and sometimes how it serves you is that you hold on to a story mm-hmm. and you don't actually have to mm-hmm. it's just a story and you can reinvent yourself every day of the week
0: mm. That's, those are very powerful ideas um
1: so if someone wants the
0: benefits of of a group that can support them but they, you know, aren't in this area or they don't know where to find the right, you know, professionals. Is there a way to create your own here group that will support you and so, so you can support one another? What
1: it's would you a, recommend? It's a great question. Um, you know, I believe and in, in my practice, I really um, integrate 12 step recovery. And so many people that come in are, you know, I will recommend you know 12 step meetings so
0: but now isn't that based on an abstinence model I,
2: can i speak to that yes, yes. you can okay <laughs> i have an issue with an abstinence model as it relates to food
1: mm-hmm. as and do all I. and only food
2: I. okay i have great respect for 12 steps as it relates to alcohol. And Hold hold on.
1: But I'm not referring to OA. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm not referring to OA um, Mm -hmm. or any kind of abstinence. We don't believe it. Mm -hmm. We don't believe in deprivation. We don't believe in counting calories and and weighing portions. um, Or days. Mm -hmm. Yes, or clean time. But there are some 12-step model groups, such as codependency, um, where those are you know, typically individuals that don't practice self-love and self-care. But the reason I'm, I'm suggesting the concept of 12-step is that that really is, it's just a group of people with a common struggle that don't have a therapist present, don't have a nutritionist present, but are walking through struggles together. And they're there for each other and they're supporting one another. So I think that it is possible to create any kind of a group that's supportive, but everybody has to be equally as invested.
0: So what are the so that that's a good tip. Everybody has to be equally invested. So mm-hmm. what if somebody's listening and they want to pull together a group of their friends mm-hmm. and say you guys, let's support each other. Let's get to the place of self-love. Let's lose weight along the way. Let's do it all. How do you identify the right way to go about that? If you had to give 3 or 4 specific steps, how do you get a peer group that will support your goals?
1: It's a tough one. Yeah. And I'll I'll tell you why it's tough because if all of those individuals don't really have a sense of how to practice self love or what self love even looks like, or they don't have the um, access to a healthier ego, they may end up falling into the same pattern of struggle. Where it's a blind leading the blind, it's yeah, just a yes. cycle. So, but, do you have to have a professional leading
0: that but,
2: group? You know what, though? I would say a great place to start is having a gratitude circle. And what does that look like? Uh, um, i'm I'm just imagining it what's coming up for me as we're speaking about it, you know, a group of people who are starting out setting their intentions, um, positive intentions for growth and healing, um, recognizing that they need to clear clutter in order to make room for what's new to come in. Um, and start with naming, identifying, Three, five things they could be grateful for, and even if life feels horrible, be grateful just for the fact that you are willing to practice gratitude. Start there if you need to.
1: I think that what Mindy is kind of you know addressing is to start with a group that wants to go to the gym or eat well. That's external, and we really do practice and and preach the internal. And so gratitude starts with you know your heart, your soul, spirituality. And that is really where self-care and self-love begin. Mm. So I, I don't think that, you know, a gym group or, you know, healthy eating group is really going to, is really the place to start. There are too many rules. Yeah.
2: You see, I, you know, we, we believe in casting out the rules. Right. Right. But people can buy the book. Uh, they, <laughs> I, they, is that, that going to be I a good say, guide? I would say absolutely <laughs> buy the book. Let that, let it Be Your Guide. You know, um, the book is available on Amazon. It's available on barnesandnoble.com. the full title? The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do for You. And every chapter, every step starts with an anecdotal paragraph or two of my own insanity. I, it ends with a journal question. Uh, action steps to take. Uh, recommendations for further reading, and affirmations. Mm.
0: Well, I do believe that you have to conceive of something before you can achieve it. And what you all are describing is something that I had not conceived of. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully, a lot of the folks listening feel the same way. And thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. It's like you just gives you, just show me the promised land, right? So, maybe one day <laughs> no. I'll get there. You will. You <laughs> will, yeah. for sure. Thank you. You
2: absolutely will. Just let go of the rules. Yeah.
0: Mindy, where can people find you on, on social media? Or if yes. They wanna... um,
2: my office is on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I am available by email all the time, Mindy at thefreedompromise.com. My website is thefreedompromise.com. And I'd love to hear from your listeners. I, I love engaging like-minded people. Mm. I love speaking to people who think they might be interested in support As I said, I'm embracing my own journey, and I'm paying it forward. Mm,
0: That's Mm -hmm. a beautiful way to live. Mm -hmm. And, Nancy, where can people find you? Uh,
1: My website, nancychandler.com. And can you spell Chandler? Sure, S-C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R.
0: Thank you both. Thank you. 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 Staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at MaraCamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can listen to Motivated episodes three days early on the TuneIn app. New episodes will post on Fridays. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara Scavel